Grace, mercy, and peace to you from God our Father and from our Lord and our Savior Jesus Christ. Our Christmas Day sermon text is from the Gospel of St. John. From the first chapter, words you heard read a moment ago. And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. This is our text, dear Christian friends. We heard at the close of the sermon last night about the physician who felt it necessary to dwell with his patients. Perhaps you've heard also the account about the English Roman Catholic Cardinal from over a hundred years ago. He received one day an urgent request for help from an elderly English priest who served in the tiny village of Brennan, a dirty little mill town just north of Birmingham, England. It seemed that an epidemic of cholera, and that intestinal disease cholera, had swept the village, decimated the village, and the elderly village priest was requesting assistance in giving out the sacrament in administering last rites to the dying and conducting funerals. So many people there were dying. The cardinal read the letter in his office and then he spent the next hour in prayer considering the requests. Finally, his secretary came in and said, Dear Cardinal, we must give an immediate reply to Brennan. Your Eminence, what shall we do? And the Cardinal, he hesitated for a moment, but just for a moment. And then he said with conviction, the people are suffering there and they're dying. How can I send someone else to do this work? I must go myself. I must go myself. If that doesn't spell for us the incarnation of God, I must go myself. That's why we have reason to celebrate this day, this Christmas day. That's why we've decked these halls here in this church with our very best. We've sung our hymns and our carols with all our voice. That's why you and I are here this morning because God looked down upon our need and He said, I can't send another. He said, I must go myself. And so into a dark and a dying world he came to save mankind from a very deadly mess. It really was essential that he himself come because we of ourselves could never bring forth the solution to our problem, sin's problem. And you know why. Because we're the problem. We are the problem. We're what's wrong. Our sin, human sin, is so invasive and it's so entirely pervasive that nothing in this world escapes its dark shadow. Think about it. Nature itself is affected. From every animal falling prey to its predator or falling ill to disease just like we do or to weather and climate conditions like tornadoes and volcanoes and blizzards and ice storms that cripple communities. Disastrous weather for those who are out in the California wilderness looking for Christmas trees. It's our sin that put a curse on it all. Socially, too, from wars waged between nations or individual households divided, we fight and households, be they big or small, households fall because of that sin within us. And physically, too. Tis the season that we're so acutely reminded 
of how fragile these bodies of ours can be because of our sin, that condition of sin within us, colds and flus. Colds and flus, I think, are exchanged far more frequently than our gifts these days. We get sick, sometimes sicker, and you know the ultimate wage of our sin. Many of you know it all too well. Perhaps death. Death. And so some of us face this year a Christmas, perhaps our very first Christmas with, without a loved one here with us. And someday our own, and you know well, someday our own loved ones will face that Christmas too without us here. Don't you see how far the curse is found? How very far the curse is found. See how completely invasive and how completely pervasive sin's darkness is. Far more than cholera, that intestinal disease. Sin is wholly systemic, destroying our world and our bodies and worst of all, our souls. We are the problem, friends. And so we can't be the fix to the problem. And therefore it was a must that God himself come for no one else would do. Not even humanity's brightest and our best. Not, only our, not, not even our brightest and our best efforts could bring forth the kind of light that we need in this world. And you heard St. John say it today in the gospel reading. John said as much in the, gospel, the Christmas gospel reading. He said it was not of the flesh. That is, no pair of sinners could ever produce, could ever conceive, ever would conceive and bring forth the Savior that we needed. It was not, he said, of the will of men. Not by the sheer will of our own works in some attempt to please God or to appease God. Not our, the will of our knowledge in, in our own attempt to know Him or our feelings in our attempt to experience Him. Not of the flesh said John, nor of man, but it's of God. Apart from God doing it, never could we of ourselves attain what needed to be attained. In fact, we've lost even before we begin. For Scripture said it, you heard it prophesied, you heard it in the prophecy last night from Isaiah. Scripture tells us that by birth and nature we're a people that dwell in darkness and in the shadow of death. The forecast for us was dark. And it was dim. But that's why this day is so bright. For scripture says also this. In him. In the Christ of Christmas. In him was life. And the life was the light of men. But here's what's so phenomenal about that. That. That light, that life light didn't shine upon us from, from some far away star in a, in a far brighter in some distant galaxy millions of light years away from our darkened dilemma. No. But that light of light came down to shine right here in our midst. Right where we needed him most. And so this morning we heard those soaring words. And the word became flesh. The need was urgent. And the situation was dire. God himself had to come. 
And the good news is that he himself did come. When we speak of the blessed incarnation, God enfleshed, God in the flesh, that's no small step to speak of. It's no small step to take. The Christian writer C.S. Lewis once put it this way. He said, the eternal being who knows everything and who created the whole universe became not only a man, but before that a baby and before that a fetus inside a woman's body. And if you want to get the hang of it, he said, think how you'd like to become a slug or a worm. Slugs and worms. We barely notice their existence when we pass over them, high over them, transcendent over them. When we pass over them on the sidewalk at night or, or after a good rain, we barely notice them. Slugs and worms we barely notice, and yet God noticed us. And not just in passing. He did it in person. In Latin, that amazing fact has been articulated for hundreds of years like this. Et homo factus est. And he was made man. As high as God is above man, dear friends. As high as God is above man, so high is that phrase above our comprehension. That God would become a man. Et homo factus est. Just how absolutely wonder full that is, Martin Luther once tried to convey to his people, I believe it was in a Christmas Day sermon, as he recalled an old legend. He said, once upon a time, a rude dolt happened to be standing in church while the people were singing these words, ed homo factus est, and he was made man. He did not take off his cap, didn't even bow his knee or accord the words any honor at all. He just stood there like a stick. Though the entire multitude of the people present knelt down in reverence, as was the custom when those words at homo factus est were being sung, those words that we spoke just moments ago in the Nicene Creed. Well, the legend goes that the devil appeared near the man and he stepped right up to him and he slapped him in the face so that he saw stars. And he cursed him terribly and he said to him, May the infernal fires consume you, you fool. If God had assumed my nature and become an angel such as I, and people saying God has become an angel, he said, I would bow not only my knees to the ground, but my whole body. Nay, ten feet deep I would crawl into the ground. But you wretched man, you stand there like a stick or a stone. You hear that God did not become an angel, but a man like you, and it's all the same? Now, whether that legend, friends, is true, that's really beside the point. Because the point is this. He became man. For us men, and for our salvation, he stepped down from heaven and was incarnate. The point is this. To which of the angels was it ever said the word became angelic? But friends, the word became our flesh. So here today, wrap these words up in your hearts and in your thoughts and take these words home with you and treasure them dearly. Treasure them high above any of those presents that have been opened in these last hours or that are there under the tree waiting yet to be opened. 
treasure it. Because this is your biggest and your best Christmas present. No matter your age. The word became flesh. And dwelt among us. Last night. We heard much about the what. Of Christmas. The where. We heard in the Christmas reading Bethlehem. City of David. The who. Mary and Joseph. The Christ child. The shepherds. The angels, the when of Christmas in those days when Quirinius was governor of Syria. Today, though, we hear primarily the why of Christmas. Why? Because it was this sinners and these sinners and every sinner's highest need. One has put it this way. If our greatest need had been information, God surely would have sent us an educator. And if our greatest need would have been technology, God certainly would have sent us a scientist. If our greatest need had been money, God would have sent us an economist. And our, if our greatest need had been pleasure, then surely God would have sent us an entertainer. But our greatest need was forgiveness. And so God sent us a savior. And so it's been put by one. Scripture puts it this way, friends. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. And to save sinners, you have to become like one. That's what it took. He himself coming and he himself becoming what we are, what we by sin have become. And what we are is not all that becoming, is it? It can be ugly with deceit. It's often sour with jealousy and rotten with envy and puffed up with pride. So often we reek with ingratitude. But in the incarnation, you see with your own eyes the soaring love of God for foul creatures like we are and have been. For therein, in the incarnation, in the, you, you see embodied that divine conversation between the Father and His Son. When the Father said to His only begotten, My Son, go and be for them what they haven't been, and go and do for them what they could never do. And the Son answered and said, Gladly, Father, I will go. And I will be for them what they could never be. And I will do for them what they could never do. So that they can be sons of yours too. Adopted sons of yours too. And share in the glory of your only begotten. And so becoming flesh and blood, Christ Jesus set out to redeem this flesh and blood. Body and soul. So scripture tells us he made himself of no reputation, taking on the form of a bondservant and being found as a man like us. He humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even death upon the cross. And that's what it took. That's what it took. Far more than a Christmas cradle. It took a cross. It took that cross whereupon God made him who knew no sin become everything that we are. Sin for us, for us so that in him we might become his 
righteousness. It sounds too good to be true. I know it. It sounds too good to be true. But it's true. And you can see why those angels above Bethlehem were, were just about besides themselves, beside themselves conveying the news. It's true. And that goes for every one of you out there today. Every one of you out there, and for me as well, no matter how dark the deed has been, no matter how dim and how long the shadow cast, if your regrettable past hangs over this Christmas present like a heavy cloud, whether because of sins of the flesh or sins of blood, whatever, look to the flesh and blood of God on the cross for you. And there see the perfect incarnate Son of God being what we could never be and doing for us what we could never for ourselves do. And what He's won for you, today He brings it to you. This morning then, like the Christmas shepherds, hasten to the Christmas stable of His table. And there you will find your Savior. You'll find Him wrapped in swaddling bread and lying in the manger cup of communion. Right here. You don't have to go to Bethlehem. Right here is where you find Him in His Christmas word, His gospel and His Christmas sacrament. Where the end of the incarnation comes to you by the means of His grace. Bringing you the forgiveness of all of your sins. I must go myself. God said. And that's why we have Christmas Day. Today I leave you with the words of a poem that speaks well, which surely can be on the lips of every human being today. It's, this poem is called Praise God for Christmas. It goes like this. Praise Him for the Incarnation, for the Word made flesh. I will not sing today of shepherds watching flocks on frosty nights, or angel choristers from heaven's lofty heights. I will not sing of a Bethlehem stable bear, or lowing oxen, or wise men, trailing star with gold and frankincense and myrrh. Today I will sing praise to the Father, who stood on heaven's threshold and said farewell to his Son as he stepped across the stars to Bethlehem in Jerusalem. And I will sing praise to the infinite, eternal Son, who became for me most finite, a baby, who one day would be executed for what I have done. Today, by the Holy Spirit, we praise Him. Praise Him in the heavens. Praise Him in the stable. Praise Him for this blessed Christmas day. A blessed Christmas day to one and all. In the name of our incarnate Lord, Jesus Christ, amen.